I'm Jamie Kudla, president of Terry Tech Computer Consultants. Thank you for joining me for my podcast, Better, Faster, Stronger, where we help move New York Metro businesses forward with tips on motivation, leadership, management, and innovation. Joining us this week is Fred Damien, CEO of Patu Solutions in Norwalk, Connecticut. How you doing, Fred? Doing great, Jamie. How are you? Great. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. So I'd like to start with, uh, um, I know a little bit about your company, but I'd like to start with a, a pretty remarkable statistic. Um, you guys are the number one fastest growing company in Connecticut and number 122 in the United States. So first of all, congratulations. That's that's amazing. Where does that statistic come from? Who, who uh, created that ranking? Yeah, so it's the Inc. 5000. So uh, they rank it over a three-year period to see how fast companies are, are growing. You know, we happen to be in a good sector and you know, we, we track online retail. So it's uh, we happen to be in a good sector and, and uh, I think we performed pretty well within that sector. That's pretty modest that you could say, oh, we happen to be in a good sector. I think that it comes with, yes, you're in a good sector, but I think you've probably done a lot of things right to experience that kind of growth and, and achieve those results. Yeah, and you know, part of it's like choosing the right sector. So we uh, we got into this business. Uh, you know, it's funny people like, how'd you found the business? I'm like, the business kind of found us. We realized it was you know a really hot area that was being underserved, and started a, a business around that. So you know, choosing the right sector was probably our our best decision, <laughs> and then obviously you know executing within there. Well, fantastic! Uh, congratulations on that success. Terry Tech is also on that list, although we're not number one and number 122, but we're proud to be on there. We're also on there three years running uh, as well. So uh, awesome. part of the same club. Um, I also love the name of your company, uh, Patu Solutions. It's an unusual name and it certainly stands out. Uh, can you talk about where you got the name from? So I am not the uh, creative or artistic person by any means. So my business partner uh, came to me when we you know, came up with a concept for the business. And I probably would have called it like online optimization company or something. And he comes to me one morning and he has a picture of a bird and uh, he goes, we should name the company Patu. I go, what's a Patu? He goes, it's a bird. I go, how come I've never heard of this bird? <laughs> and uh, he goes, well, I was drinking last night and I was looking up names. I'm like, how much were you drinking? And then that's he turns some, to me. He's like, that's some good uh, ideas come from, by the way. But <laughs> I, I think so. So so he turns to, to me and he says, you know, it's it's got... Uh, you know, he tells me it's a camouflage bird. It's in the Amazon rainforest. It's a predatory bird. And I love the whole thing, but I'm like, what's a Patu? And he goes, yeah, Fred, what's a Pepsi? What's an Exxon? And I'm like, I had no good response for this. I'm like, okay, let's go with it. We could always change the name. But then we started, uh, as we started visiting uh, potential clients, they would actually research the name and you know, it was amazing that they they thought it was like brilliant that they thought this name was like great and they're like we've been talking about it for for the past two weeks since you scheduled the meeting and i think this is brilliant and i'm like wasn't me but you know i I'm, i appreciate it is but yeah it's kind of taken a little bit of a life of its own and the fact that people ask about it and more than a few times we've went to you know, see see clients and they're like you know everybody at the company knows that then uh, everybody at our company knows the name of your company and the name of the bird and the history of the bird and like it's terrific. So, um, and the name the name stuck. So we, uh, I think we made the right decision, or he made the right decision. I yeah, right, right, exactly. Certainly is creative. I don't know is that I would come up with something like that. I think I tend to be more like you, you know, online uh, analytics company. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it definitely uh, uh, resonates a little bit better with uh, uh, Patu. So, 
Um, tell me a little bit about your background um, and talk about your company a little bit. Why don't you start with your background and tell me, you know, what you've done, you know, before you started Patu and a little bit of that history and then uh, talk a little bit about, um, you know, how Patu got started and what you guys do. Sure. So uh, I graduated with an engineering degree and I graduated with an engineering kind of degree. engineering? Uh, mechanical engineering. Oh, me too. Yep. And I graduated at possibly the worst time to get a job in mechanical engineering. I went to school out in Long Island at Stony Brook and uh, Grumman had just laid off 6,000 engineers that year. And I traveled. I wanted to work for some of the automotive companies. I want to, uh, those are, those are, you know, I'm dating myself a little bit, but I, uh, it was a time where people like faxed resumes, so I decided to stand out. So I actually like went to California, went to some of the you know, automotive design studios. They literally had signs on the door of we're closed, not accepting applicants. Mm. And so kind of came back to, uh, to New York and started working in technology, uh, not necessarily engineering, but started working in technology and sales. Uh, actually really liked it. Uh, had, had a, a business around that. And I was one of those people who, uh, I don't know, growing up as like a scrappy kid with no money in Queens, like I would just have to to hustle to like get deals or you know if I want to buy something that I couldn't afford, I had to figure out like a creative way to get it. That was not stealing, of course, but I had to figure out, you know, yeah, right. coupons, sales, clearance. You know, so I, uh, pretty much for my whole life, I was the person that people would come to and they would say, how do I get a how do I get a good price on this? I'm going to shop for a car. I'm getting a washing machine, you know, uh, whatever. And I, I would always be that person who finds them the deal. And people always told me I should sell on um, on eBay. But got two kids, a wife. Really never made sense to me. Uh, in 2010, uh, a friend turned me on to Amazon. And he said, you know, you can sell on Amazon and they fulfill for you. And I remember where I was sitting. I remember the light bulb went off. I turned to my wife. I said, "Yo, we got to sell online," and she thought I was like nuts. And what I was, was the difference uh, um, between doing it on eBay versus Amazon. Like you said, there was a light bulb moment. So what was the, the distinction? Yeah, yeah. The light bulb moment was the only way eBay or selling online would make sense to me, given kind of my uh, you know, my lifestyle. Let's say, you know, not that I live a crazy lifestyle, but if it was going to make a living, I couldn't sell like one or two items. I and I, I needed to sell a lot of items at a high volume and I really wasn't going to ship like one-off items yeah. you know, there. But uh, the difference between Amazon is they actually allowed you to piggyback their infrastructure and their warehouse system. So I could ship a pallet load of items to Amazon and they would, they would send individually to everybody where eBay, I would have to send, sell uh, and send individually to, to everybody I sell to. So it was really that like lever component and Amazon also took care of the first level of customer service. So somebody uh -huh. calls up, they go to Amazon. So I'm like, I don't have to ship individually and I don't have to take care of customer service. I could find items. That's not my issue. I could, you know, find good deals. That's not my issue. It's like the individual, you know, shipping to, to one off people. That was, that was the issue. Uh, so I remember where I was sitting and it was, uh, the, I think we made $8 like the first week. And it was like, I was so excited. I was like, and my wife were like, she, she's like, what are you excited about? She's like, you made $8 on an item. I'm like, yeah, but I could lunch get cost, lunch costs more than that. You know, I hate exactly. to crush your <laughs> But I'm like, I could get a thousand of them. And I would say still most people kind of around me resisted a little bit. They're like, you're really leaving your, your executive position to go do this. And I'm like, I am. Uh, fast forward a year, we were um, doing about 10 million in revenue and we had 31 people working for us wow. uh, and I was shipping out of 
seven different locations. When I say locations, they were typically people's garages or homes. So I hired like all our friends and family. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun for like a long, you know, uh, ran it for about seven years. Uh, was one of the largest sellers on Amazon. Um, learned a lot, was having a lot of fun. My business partner, uh, who was a friend before he became my business partner, uh, and I met him at Pepsi, uh, he said, you know, I'm working for a consumer electronics company and they're having some issues on Amazon. You're the Amazon expert. Could you help us? And so I had, I had, um, was he a partner? He wasn't a partner in the business at this point. No, yeah, we there wasn't a business at this point. I was just I was wow. selling on Amazon, and that was a, a separate, you know, business. And I actually thought all large companies, all large brands, knew how to manage online marketplace. If I knew, and I started with no experience, surely those massive companies with infinite resources knew. So he was working at one of those large companies, and he uh, he brought me in. I talked to the management team and like I was shocked that they didn't know what they were doing, right? And it's not that they weren't smart or they weren't educated. It was that you know they didn't have experience as a large seller online, right? They started in brick and mortar, they knew how to manufacture, create goods, many things that I didn't know how to do, but they didn't understand this you know online marketplace and the importance of it. So we went in there, transformed their business, grew their grew their online business 4x in about three months. Wow. Uh, actually saved their business, you know, which uh, you know w was good because it was on a decline because they were getting a lot of pressure, um, but also learned a lot. So yeah, I thought we'd do it for like a few companies and you know just have like a small business. But uh, within the first week, we got about ten referrals. So people who worked at the company. Could you do this for my previous company? My friends got a company. I'm aware you know, of another company that that has this issue. I had no issue. It was I had no idea it was such a mass issue across a lot of brands, and you know, so when I say like we, you know, we, we, you know, the business found us versus we found the business, it's absolutely true. I resisted starting a my a, a standalone business for you know un, until we got like an overwhelming demand. There was only one yeah. like, okay, this is really like a large issue. I actually had no idea, you know, how large it was. And then you know, fast forward, you know, now we've got about 700 different brands. You know, the total market value of the brands we have is over $2 trillion. So wow. some of the largest brands in the world, 180 of the brands we work with are publicly traded companies. So, you know, we're really kind of like blessed and humbled, but, you know, a lot of companies with infinite resources come to us for your know, expertise. And our expertise isn't necessarily, you know, my own expertise on selling on Amazon anymore. It's not like the compiled expertise of all the brands we work with and all the learnings we get from those brands that we reshare back to. Um, to any brand that uh, is part of our portfolio. So you made that shift from being an online retailer to really a, a, a consultant. Um, and I'm sure that a lot happened in between then, uh, you know, between when you first started and where you are now. I got to believe in the beginning it was pretty labor intensive and, you know, it was almost like one-on-one -on -one, uh, consulting gigs. And presumably you've built some automation and systems and teams around that, you know, so that you can scale to the company of that size. Yep. Yeah, and and it's that's a great word, Jamie. Scalability. You know, to me, like the business is only interesting if it's scalable, right? If I could like multiply it out, if I could get some learnings and like push those learnings out. So at every opportunity, we like, what could we get that we could scale? What could we get that could be like, you know, uh, an advantage for us? That's like you know, a wall around the business, and and that actually ended up being like learning from the clients as quickly as possible. So we're like a learning environment. So like we learn from those massive brands, we take the learnings internally, and then the and then reshare the best practices. So it's not just like us, you know, we're learning 
as we're doing. We're learning by you know, our brand partner's experience, uh, and then we're resharing you know, everything we learned. Uh, it's pretty interesting too that you always had this entrepreneurial background. You know, um, there was, you know, it was, it was part of your your fiber, part of your DNA. I guess it was, you know, uh, formed, you know, as you were growing up. And you know, in talking to people, I don't know is it that something that you can learn or something that you're born with. Um, but it sounds like it started with you in an early age and it just kind of became part of who you are. Yeah, my my dad, uh, you came here from Egypt, couldn't get a job, was kind of forced to be you know, an entrepreneur. Um, but my dad, you know, uh, and learned so many, so many lessons from him. But one of the lessons, it's like, you know, there's like self-employed and there's entrepreneur, right? So you could be self-employed, which is basically like I kind of have my own business and maybe a few things. But you know, really to me, like having a business is, uh, to your previous point, like something I could scale. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those. I grew up in this environment. Uh, hopefully my kids are growing up in like the same kind of entrepreneurial environment. But yeah, it's uh, I think it's yeah, a little something that's like in your blood a little bit or, you know, something maybe you witness and, and uh, you, know, you see to be a norm. Yeah, some of it can be developed, some of it you're born with, I think. Yep. There's some parallels, I think, between who you are and Robert Hershevik. Obviously, you know who he is. Do you know anything about him or his background? Yeah, I love the show. And yeah, same thing. I mean, you know, my and my dad would always tell the story like like he came and he couldn't get a job at all. And I know he worked at he told me a story, like he worked at Radio City at one of those like ushers or whatever. Yep. And he had a mustache. Yeah, I think that was okay in the seventies, but he had a mustache. <laughs> And they asked him to shave it off. And he's like, he literally quit because he didn't want to shave it off. And then oh, he you know, brought a van, started like, you know, a delivery business, which ended up being like, you know, a decent sized business at, at some point. But yeah, I, I think he kind of, you know, hobbled into it. But, you know, I grew up in that environment. It was just yeah, you know, sure. the norm. Um, I also find it interesting, too. I have a degree in engineering, as I mentioned. Um, I think a lot of uh, people that are successful in the technology space and even in the business space have engineering backgrounds. Um, and I think the specific discipline, doesn't really it isn't all that important whether you're mechanical or electrical or chemical you know i think it's the engineering process that's so valuable where it teaches you how to you know isolate a problem understand what it is research the the problem put together a couple of potential solutions get the feedback and, and fix the problem so i mean that's really universal language right that applies in any single business that you're in or in, or in any uh well any type of business that you're in yeah i completely agree I, one of my favorite quotes is smart loves problems Right. Yeah. And and you know, the thing about engineering is at least me and I struggled at what engineering school. Right. Where you I knew there was a solution. Like I always knew there was a solution because there was a solution. Right. It wasn't like an easy solution. It seemed like you know, there was no solution. If you I know, didn't read all the books like I didn't you know, read them. But you knew that this problem had a solution. And yeah, so for me, even going into it, like I don't, I don't look at stuff as problems. I look at it like a puzzle. Do I not have the skill set? Do I need to learn something? But I look at like everything as something that's solvable. And I think if there's one thing I got out of engineering, is like, you know, every single problem is solvable. And you know, the smart loves problems really forces me to think like, if I have a problem and I'm having difficulty with it, well, how do I build up my skill set and get a little smarter and solve it versus saying you know, it's impossible, right? So I think, you know, leading leading with that, like this is something that's solvable versus I think a lot of people say, you know, this isn't something that's solvable, I'll never be able to get over it. And they go into it with almost a defeatist mindset. I think the engineering mindset is like a, a solution-based mindset. And at least that that's one thing I got out of it. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, obviously you've taken that approach to your business and how many times on any given day or any given week, you know, are you presented with 
problems. You know, to go back to um, Robert Hershevik, and I, um, I'm reading his book, uh, Driven, um, one of the, the things that he talks about is just his mindset. He goes into work and he can't wait to solve problems. Like he's looking forward to them. He knows that that is part of a, a business. So, you know, uh, given your background and your skill set and taking that attitude in there, you know, clearly speaks to the success that you've had. Yep, and, and trying to you know, push it to the team also, right? So this, I, I've got to put up the sign like "Smart loves problems." This way, when people come into my office and they're like, "I have a problem," like, "Okay." You have that sign in your your office? I'm got to put it in, <laughs> like uh, print it out. We, yeah, because I think when people come in, just just to change their mindset, right? You know, and you know, you talk about like the lever part, like how do I lever that philosophy to the whole company so we're all looking at it this way? And you know, problems are fun, right? It's how you build up skill sets. It's how you challenge yourself, right? You know, I kind of look at problems as like, you know, it's like you're on track and there's a hurdle, right? Yep. Yeah. Like if you can't jump the hurdle, it's a wall. But if you can jump it, or you learn to jump it, like you built that skill set. So it's like problems are that are that hurdle, right? Like let me overcome them, and I'll I'll be stronger for the next hurdle. That's right. Um, so we we have to get into the the podcast. I have questions I want to ask you about better, faster, and stronger. But I just have one one more question in regards to your business. So a typical client would come to you, and they would you provide them with what? What kind of information? What are they looking for? What problem are you solving? Yeah, so uh, really broken down in three components, like analyzing how they're doing in online marketplaces. So just as an example, uh, a, a brand might come to us and say, you know, typically they have a problem, and that's why they come to us. And they and the problem would be, you know, buyer at Walmart or Best Buy doesn't want to buy my items because the price at Walmart.com or Amazon.com is much lower. So, and they don't know what's going on in the online platform. So they come to us to say, you know, what is going on? Who's selling the items? What is their source? Is this like a self-inflicted wound where I'm like, you're selling it to a distributor who's selling it to somebody else who's lowering the price and affecting your brick and mortar. So first thing we do is give them data and analysis, who's selling your items, what price point, how much inventory they have, what their likely source of inventory is. Um, the second step is now like shrinking, you know, and controlling the pie, right? So first, like how big is the pie? And even the largest brands in the world, like they typically don't know how large that pie is, right? So we're telling them how large the pie is. Um, second step is actually going to affect it. So helping control that pie and like manage it. Like now only the people you want to sell the items are selling it. It's in a controlled way. They're legitimate items. And the third and most important step is growing that pie, right? Like it's not just about you know, knowing and controlling. It's like it's online well, retail. You want to grow it, sure. Yeah, Amazon's grown, I don't know, 35, 40% last year. Like you should be growing the same, right? You know, some some online retailers are growing greater. So how do you take advantage of that and, and you know, understanding the landscape, controlling it, and then, you know, growing it? Um, so, yeah, all three components. But the first step is, like, what's going on in, on my online platforms and giving them that data, like, who selling your items, how much do they have, what their likely source of inventory is. And some of the effect is, like, they're cutting off distributors and, you know, limiting distribution, you know, thing, you know things like that. Great. Thank you for that. Um, so we want to share some of the information that you've learned and, and uh, some of the tips and tricks and um, motivation, you know, and what's made you so successful. So we'll start with the first question. What have you done over the years or in your career that has made you or your company better? So really flexibility. You know, Einstein has a great quote like flexibility is or maybe it's creativity is more important than knowledge, but flexibility really you're know, being flexible and learning right you know knowing you got to deal with a, a different set of problems in the future so having uh, one thing we do have in every conference room is a sign like growth mindset versus fixed mindset you know our advantage as a company isn't 
isn't one certain specific knowledge or a way of doing things or a system. It's our ability to like learn and learn quickly. You know, I very much view, you know, that there's a, you know, a great phrase. It's like, you know, especially in online retail, the big, you know, the big doesn't eat the small. It used to be that way. 70s or 80s, but it's like, it's the fast that eats the slow. So how could we learn faster and how could we develop faster? Large, massive companies come to us with unlimited resources. Our advantage is not having those resources or being able to build out systems. Our, our ability to like pivot and change is the most important skill set. Um, the business looked much different five years ago than it looks now. If we were doing what we did five years ago now, we wouldn't be in business. So really like, you know, pivoting, the market changed dramatically. You know, Amazon doesn't look like what it looked like five years ago. Walmart.com doesn't. Therefore, we can't. So really having that like your know, flexibility and, and learning environment and growth mindset um, is, is a big advantage. And how do we accelerate that? Five years from now, the business is going to look different. We're going to be dealing with a different set of, of problems. How do we how do we pivot and, and consistently like you know, stay at the leading edge? What a great perspective that the big does need the small. It's the slow that beats, or I'm sorry, it's the fast that beats the slow. That's that's fantastic. I never uh, heard that perspective before, but it obviously makes sense. And certainly in the technology space because it does move quickly, uh, without question. How do you how do you stay? Uh, um, uh, how do you keep your team uh, trained and abreast of what's going on? And and how do you stay that flexible? How do you know where you need to make those changes? Yeah, so we we have a lot of uh, like lunch and learns, coffee hours, things like that, where where people share that knowledge. You know, we have systems in place to, like you know share like best practices and things like that. But really communicating. You know, we have we have an advantage as a smaller company. Like I could talk to everybody at the company every day if I wanted to. They could communicate with each other. Where at large companies, it's harder to you know propagate that. So a lot of communicating. Uh, gamifying stuff. So, you know, you learn something, share something, you know, you could win a prize. Like, you know, what could, you know, what did you learn from uh, one of our brand partners that you could share internally? What did you learn internally that you could share with the rest of the team? So, you know, the concept of like group IQ. So, and our group isn't just like the internal group. Our group is like, what did you learn from, you know, we have some of the largest brand, you know, we have uh, eight out of 10 largest brands sold on Amazon or our brand partners. What are we learning from them, right? We could get our learnings. Yeah, right. Um, also yeah, share you can their leverage what they know and, and incorporate it into your own business. Exactly. And, yeah, those are those are you know, some unbelievable companies that have, like, a depth of experience, and they're sharing with us so we could be more effective in, in managing their brand. You know, what could we learn from those massive companies that could be shared with you know, with, with other companies? Um, so really you know, having that learning environment is important, and it's just really communicating, right? So, like, you know, I, I put out to the team, like, don't worry about over communicating, like over communicate. That's what the shoot for, <laughs> like, you know, share with each other, share best practices, tell stories that, you know, uh, you know of your know, client experiences that, you know, they could share with others. So really like just having that accelerated learning environment. Do you do any, do you have any uh, structure around that? I mean, do you have meetings where you're talking about this or it's just kind of on the fly, you know, whether it's in chat channels or in email or, you know, uh, the daily huddles, the daily meetings, that kind of thing where you're just sharing that stuff? Or do you actually have meetings where you're talking about innovation and things that you can do? Yeah, so all of the above. So we have town halls, but every week we have like a coffee hour. Uh, we have like lunch and learns where you know, it's not just, I don't have a monopoly on those learnings, right? The team does. How do we how do we have them share it? How do we have them uh, you know, propagate it through everybody else, right? So it's really just like communicating where, where you know, for example, like every week we have uh, a company highlighted. 
and the person managing that right. brand partner has to share the experience and you know the growth or maybe like the difficulties they're having and now we like crowdsource ideas so we have you know a company highlighted every week we have uh lunch and learns and coffee hours you know on, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis and it's really you know outside of communication where you know people in certain groups could you know share with each other right so you know we we encourage that um you know greatly it's a little harder to do when not everybody's in the office and we're all virtual um but we've actually been been pretty successful at that great can you talk about how you gamify it i think that's a great idea right i mean because obviously it sounds like this is part of your culture and integral to the way the patu runs but when you do some things around that that makes it a little bit more fun and encourages people to share maybe some people wouldn't be as willing to do so so if you can make like you say gamify it a little bit if you could talk about that yeah so we we have uh like we have something called basics bingo where you know somebody comes and like you know we'll like answer questions or we'll do some of those surveys and in the online meetings right and you know give prizes so we give out you know quite a bit of prizes um but you know we used to take you know, the the other approach where it's like somebody does something wrong and like okay let's kind of go after you know that uh and now we're like okay somebody does something right let's celebrate it let's actually encourage people to you know participate right so we'll have like you know bingo or give out prizes you know as people participate you know spot awards you know things like that how do we make it you know how do we make the learning fun you know and have and encourage more people to participate uh our team is relatively young so some of them you know, might be a little more intimidated some a little less intimidated um you know, a prize you know, always decreases you know, it's, yeah it's, right uh, yeah it, it makes it a lot more fun it's less so, serious Exactly. Really easy to engage and share sometimes. Yep. So how do we make the learnings like fun? Make it you know less serious. And you know we we've got uh yeah we've got some great clients that let us occasionally keep their you know test by so we like give them out as you know prizes and you know other stuff we have. So it's it's we try to make it a fun environment. Great. Um, you probably touched on some of these already. Uh, we're having a good conversation here, but we talked about what's made your company better. But how about faster? If you could talk about you know maybe how you got um you know data to your clients faster or how you brought a product to market a little bit faster you know anything that would resonate to that level yeah so we try to take the philosophy of um like addition by subtraction right so like how do we add value to brands by like shrinking shrinking you know um disruption right but also internally like what things could we remove that refine the process right so like on a database level like could we consolidate tables we could could we could we you know show the same dashboard to european clients as we do to us clients so how do we really shrink that right and and we kind of told like a you know i i had this learning when we were redoing our logo and it was really like a deep learning so we had this like a little bit of like an intricate you know fancy logo and then we moved to like a like a more simplistic logo right so you, you can move to this and you know the company that came in yeah you know, they said there's like too many colors there's too much detail there's too much nuance to your logo and they said you know think of apple you think of Nike, really simple, really scalable. I could put on a business card, I could put on a shirt, I could put it on a you know banner, I could put on any number of things, right? Yeah. So really simplifying to make it scalable, right? So like you know, how do we move faster? Like simplify. If you have a ton of processes, you know, and a ton of detail, it's a lot harder to scale. If I, you know, and really like the largest companies in the world, like how do I kind of keep it simple so I could multiply it? If something's like complex, it's harder to multiply out. So really, one of the efforts we put in starting last year is like. How do we simplify across the board, right? You know, and sometimes simplifying may, may be like, you know, I'm not gonna take like every bit of business that I possibly can do. I'm gonna take things that are you know, in my core and look to like multiply them out. So you know, sometimes it's saying no. How am I gonna take you know processes you know, internally 
and really refine them so that they're you know really really you know as tight as possible and then now i could multiply it out right so really like simplifying uh and you know it's 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 hard to keep it simple sometimes so sometimes it's like challenging to keep yeah, things you don't want to oversimplify something you know because that could take away some of its effectiveness correct doing so. yeah so how do we how do we simplify as much as we can and then scale right and i think you imagine as we grew in europe last year like you know we had two basically different businesses like you know what what is like the leverage of you know those those um the data we have and could we consolidate and you know slightly change the us you know, view of it, slightly change the European view and have like one unified view. And that's actually helped quite a bit because <clears throat> a lot of uh, our brands are consolidating their operations into like one one team, like European and US. And yep. now instead of having like two different views, they could have one view and it's like a natural like, oh yeah, you know, would you like us to add another country to this? And it makes it a lot simpler. And also like the training, the scalability, you know, even them, you know, being able to, you know, view the data in one platform, them being able to roll it up to their boss, you know, and you know, we deal with a lot of large multinational companies. You know how many earnings report they have? Like they have one, right? They consolidate all their, you know, SKUs, you know, from different countries and all their earnings in different currencies to like one platform. So I'm like, right. we could do that too. Like yeah, right. you know, we need to, to have one reporting because ultimately, you know, as as uh, e-commerce becomes more and more and more important, it is something that, uh, you know, the executive team or CEO wants to be aware of. And you can't have like five different reports for five different regions. You know, they, they want to see single, single pane of glass, right? Exactly. Yeah. So for us, like, you know, doing that simplification really allows us to like move, you know, move. A you can't multiply something if it's complex. It's so much easier to move quickly and multiply if it's, you know, as, as simple as, you know, to your point, can't always keep it extremely simple. Businesses, you know, as, as you get larger, going to be more complex, but as Make simple as simple, we could keep it. It can be, but no, but no more, but no more simple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, how do you do that in your company? Meaning, do you have a team that's responsible for that? Do you have a person that's responsible for that and kind of always looking for that continuous improvement in ways that you can simplify and make things more scalable, easier, faster to implement? Yes, I would say everybody uh, is is you know, responsible and aware of it. And, you know, just as an example, like, you know, we'll say, like, pretend this is like the 1980s and like you paid for every like message you know every word you sent there was like some extra you know, like amount on text or something right so imagine like you know if it's in a dashboard like what words are repetitive right like what you know what could we remove if every like letter cost ten thousand dollars what would we look to remove right and now it like keeps it simple right so we you know we we have that you know just working on a you know um like a higher level with the executive team to like you know push that mandate down like how much simpler could we could we keep it um you know when my uh, my business partner worked at kodak and they would take like you know a, a literally a camera and put it down the assembly line to see what parts of the assembly line were were just inefficient so we try to take that a little bit and say okay like what parts of this you know are, are you know, unnecessary what parts yeah and an easy way to look at it is like the bottom line right you know is this like making me money? Is it saving me money? Is it making the company happier? Right? Like, I like your uh, pers perspective of looking at it like it's going down the assembly line. That's that engineering background coming yeah. to the surface again. But that's a good way to look at it. Exactly. Yeah. And and just yeah, what 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 is this the end effect of what it's doing in the business? Right. Like if it's not hitting some metric, right? <laughs> like, is it really necessary? Right. right. Yeah, and a metric could be you know is the company happier? Do we have you know um, your employees? Uh, surveys you know 
happier, right? So it doesn't have to be like a hard metric, like I'm making money or saving money. But, but there, has to be some, there has to be something that you're measuring it against, right? Some kind of KPI. Correct. Yep. Thank you for that. How about something that has made your company stronger over the years? Certainly you've done that. You've demonstrated that quite well being number one fastest growing company. So yeah, I would say, you know, the, the, like weeding a little bit it doesn't sound like a pleasant thing to say but you know it's as much doing like you know good things as not doing bad things right and you know if if somebody's you know uh fit at the company let's accelerate them if somebody's not a fit let's cut out you know the mutual <laughs> you know the mutual pain so i i would say it's an equal combination right because you know when when something's you know, negative for whatever reason. It just takes up like a lot of mind space and removing that is often like, you know, a, a relief. So I would say, you know, not allowing the company to be weakened right. by certain things. Um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, being brave and making, you know, quicker decisions, right? You know, like you hire, you know, like hire slowly, fire quickly, like, you know, and, and you know, learn from it, right? Like how do we continue to, you know, continually improve and get better. But I would say, you know, that part, you know, also like the loyalty part, where um, you know, we, we want to reward employees ahead of them like wanting to be rewarded. So we kind of, you know, but when somebody's performing well, you know, I don't need them to you know, ask me for a raise. Like we kind of pride ourselves on like you're know, getting ahead of it. And I think that you know, right. a bit of loyalty you know, and, and rewards people, right? I always, you know, uh, I always bring up the uh, sprint analogy to like my business partner where, where it's like, you know, what if you found somebody was getting somebody external was getting a better deal like some new subscribers friend was getting a better deal even though i've had it for 15 years i'd yeah. be kind of upset so you know we want to reward the people that were loyal even if they're not you know asking how would you feel if sprint called you up and said hey fred you've been a loyal customer for a while you know there's like some promotion you're not taking advantage of and we're automatically going to put you on that plan and say you know, like they would have me as a customer forever and i think the same thing with employees if we go you know, above and beyond and reward the loyalty to people who are there not necessarily you know asking for it i think that that builds a lot and it's There's really you know, sure yes yeah, and it's not just you know me it's like you know the you know, i need a loyal dedicated team and i have to be like loyal and dedicated to them to ask them to do the same right another way that you can refer to that you know in the, the first part of the conversation there is is top grading right i mean top grading isn't necessarily a bad uh bad thing even looking at your clients, um, you know, and we've done this over the years too. I mean, we have lots of great clients that have, uh, you know, been loyal to us, but, you know, sometimes you go to a point where you're probably not the best fit for the client. So, you know, you have a conversation with them, you know, if your focus changed a little bit and you can help transition them to somebody that can you know, better serve them. Same thing with your teams too and, and your employees. They may not be a fit. They may have a skill set that, you know, at, at one point maybe was relevant to the company and maybe isn't a, a perfect fit. Um, so it's in everyone's best interest that, um, you know, you, you set up other opportunities uh, within the company or maybe it's not with the company. Yeah. Yeah. No, agreed. And, you know, having that power to say no and, and, you know, on, on a you know, client perspective, it's also been like going to a client and saying, you know, this program isn't right for you now. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. powerful too. And a lot of times when you do that too, and you go to a client, especially if it's in a, a potential sale for a client that you want. You know, if you're going negative like that, they say, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that is something that we want. And then they're almost selling themselves to you, you know, to buy the, the product. So we yeah, exactly. Yeah, it builds a ton of credibility, like being able to walk away. You know, first, you know, they clearly know, you know, um, you're doing the right thing, right? You're, you know, it's not just, you know, the other side of it is like, you know, whatever I sell them is always right. That's not always the case. Um, but, 
you know, we, as we're rolling out new products and services, you know, if I like, and we tell clients all the time, like, you do not have an issue on this platform right now. You know, that may change. Now, if I call them up in six months and say, you know, you didn't have an issue before, it's starting to creep up a little, not yet. <laughs> you know, and then in three months, call them, like, you really need our services now. They're probably, you know, I would just sign, right? And and uh, and I like to say I came up with this myself, Jamie, but yeah, I went to my, I went to, my son was getting his, like, uh, he needed braces. We went to like one dentist, he needs braces immediately. We went to another dentist, he's like, he doesn't need braces right now, maybe in six months. You know, you know maybe in six months he'll need them, maybe in nine months, maybe in a year. And, and my wife's like, which one do you want? I'm like, I want that one, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And sure enough, he ended up getting, you know, both my, both my sons, you know. Um, but, you know, he, he had that credibility, right? Because he wasn't asking for it now, and it was really not just about like the right fit, but the right timing. So like to me, that resonated, and we try to you know, take some of those, you know, practices and philosophy and, and roll it out to the business. It changes the conversation from a, a sales conversation to a true consultative um, approach, right? And I think that people respect that. Um, and if you're getting in front of enough people that you know are interested in your service, um, and obviously you're in a position where you don't have to take on uh, every business, <clears throat> it's like that it does build a ton of credibility and it really helps build sales. And, and that's the approach that we take as well. And it's, it's very powerful. That's great. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing this information on how you made Patu Solutions better, faster, and stronger. I have one last question for you, you know, before we end the, the podcast here. If you could go back to, I don't know, we'll call it the beginning of your career. It's probably more than 10 years, 20 years, whatever it would be. And, and you could talk to that person. What piece of information would you share with you in the beginning of your career um, that you wish you knew then that served you well over the, the past X number of years? Yeah, you know, so... When people say like do something you're passionate about, I mean everybody says this all the time. Um, but you know, if, if they tell like you know the metrics part of it, right? Like you know, I would tell myself like find something you're passionate about, not just something that makes you like the immediate you know reward, right? And yeah, you know, I've you know, succeeded in a lot of things I've done mostly because I've like worked hard. But now when I take like I work hard plus I'm really passionate about it, it like puts it on you know puts it on steroids. steroids. So really like, taking that and almost having like a slower you know rather than like you know I could make you know twice as much now, but not doing what I like, you know, when, when I was younger, I don't know, moving out of Queens, New York, I'm like, I'll take it. Right. Uh, and it really didn't resonate. You're like, yeah, yeah. That's when you have the luxury of, you know, doing what you're passionate about. Right. But really like having that resonate and putting in terms of, you know what, you find something you're passionate about, you're going to work harder. You're going to be an advantage. Like 80% of people don't necessarily like what they're doing. If you happen to be in that 20%, you will succeed at a high level. And no matter what business you're in, whether I'm selling stuff online or you know, like, if I succeed at a high level, there's you know very few businesses you can't make you know, like a, a really good living at, right? So like finding that you know thing and and really you know enjoying it, right? Like I'll work an extra 20 hours because to your point, like it doesn't feel like work. I actually you know enjoy it and and uh, you know like somebody asked me like what do you want to do next? I'm like I don't know. I'm having like too much fun now. Like I don't really want to know. And I I just wish I had that like earlier. You know I had like the hard work and the work ethic, but you know, the finding something you're like really passionate about combined with that really takes it to the next level. So I try to drill that and hopefully my younger self would listen to that advice. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I would definitely try to try to give as strong of an argument as possible. But you know what, over time, you probably were able to work it into something that you were really passionate about. So mm. I don't know, is it you always afforded that luxury from the start to, to be able to do something you're truly passionate about because you do have to put a roof over your head and food on the table and you have kids and that sort of thing. So I guess taking that mindset and always being aware of that, you were able to, you know, work it into Patu Solutions in your, your current career. So congratulations on that. That's fantastic. And obviously being passionate about what you do and uh, hard work, you know, coupling those two things 
um, has worked very well for you. So congratulations on all your success. Thank you for joining me on my podcast, Better, Faster, Stronger, and be sure to check out our other podcasts at bfsmetro.com. Thanks, Fred. Have a great day. You too.